This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The, the night after the game was not the best night of my life. Let me say it like this. And um, but I got up in the morning and I knew I have to to speak to my boys, but they were not here. So I I texted them a long, long message. Um, what pretty much my my thoughts about the things um, about the things that happened. And um, after that, I felt much better <laughs> because then it was out. Um, and then we. From that moment on, we could carry on, and that's what we did. And now we we are here. We had really enough time to deal with it. And it's losing a game. Come on, you lose a game. It's always it's exactly the opposite of what you want. Losing it with seven two is makes it of course worse. We got a proper knock. You can lose a game. You don't have to lose immediately seven two. Um, but in some respect, I like it more than losing three two. To be honest, because it's just more clear that three two. And we could have lost that night, 3-2. Um, and then we go home, boys go to international teams, we have the, um, we do the analyze, and that's it pretty much. But this is uh, more useful. Jürgen, you are not sleepy? Wow, I just thinking about all the positives from our unprecedented 7-2 lost Aston Villa. Wow, amazing! <laughs> do you know how many injuries we are having from the game? Zero! I am so really, really proud of the boys. Ay. So many beautiful goals. <laughs> Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast, your vaccine to the recent pandemic of Aston Villa podcasts. It's the first full show we've had for a while. After uh, a couple of bonus shows, uh, we will be uh, looking again at the Liverpool game, picking out a few key themes and uh, looking at the transfer window and other developments since last we spoke. Joining me, Mr. Chris Budd. Welcome back. All right. And Mr. Phil Shaw. Hello. Chris, uh, back from his uh, addressing the nation on uh, BBC World. I was on Global Maneuvers for Mums. With... uh, with a Spurs fan who uh, looked a bit of a, well, sounded like a serial killer. I don't know if I could listen to that podcast. Yeah, it was but, a bit Charles uh, and Dave, wasn't it? Rabbit, 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 rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's what I didn't understand of that. It was... Um, we with a headline. <laughs> they were billing uh, the Spurs beating Manchester United and the Villa beating uh, Liverpool together as like, uh, which you, you kind of see, but, you know, Spurs beating 10-man Manchester United. 
Spurs, who were in the Champions League barely a year ago, Manchester United down to 10 men, deep in transition, you know, not the greatest of team. Meanwhile, a team that escaped relegation on the last day by one point, beating the champions and World Club champions 7-2. I mean, what's the story there? I don't know. They must have had him lined up before we performed miracles. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you for representing uh, villains uh, across the world. I mean, we agreed to do that because... Uh, you know, if you ever travelled and you're in a hotel wherever you are in the world, the BBC World News is always on that hotel TV. So just imagine people uh, having Nookie in Singapore or I don't know Hong Kong <laughs> with Chris Chris Bud on on their screens in the background. The dulcet brummy kind, tones. Some kind of hotel. That's that's why we did it. It was the, it was the choice of uh, it was the choice of me talking about villa info commercials or adult TV. One and exactly. the same at, at Liverpool match. Oh, well, yeah, it's all that could mm. be on Pornhub as well. Right, uh, coming up in the show, as I've said, we'll we will uh, look back at the Liverpool game, but we you know we covered it in uh, that bonus episode, episode uh, seven two, I think I called it. So uh, do listen to that if you uh, haven't already. It's worth it just for the intro of the the Scousers. That's absolutely majestic by them, by the way. Reacting to uh, what happened. Stop on, scoring. On- Stop scoring. We're already dead. (laughs) We'll also look at uh, how the transfer window played out and we'll also look at uh, how Villa have transformed so quickly in a matter of weeks from that team that was battling relegation to one that has, uh, let's say, a brighter ambition ahead. And under or overrated, we will look at the double talents of Jean McCoon. Is it Jean De Macoon, Macoon, the second, yeah, mm-hmm. the second, and uh, Stephen Warnock as well. So we're actually currently in an international uh, week. Uh, Phil's celebrating uh, Northern Ireland's first ever penalty shoot. Was it first ever penalty shootout or first ever win in a penalty shootout? First ever penalty shootout. We've a hundred percent record. We're better than Germans. <laughs> no, Davis, that Davis was mentality. Possible. <laughs> Davis mentality. Yeah, Stephen Davis. Did Stephen Davis take a penalty? I can't even remember because at, at that stage, <laughs> at that stage, I wasn't even looking. I know that Liam Boyce scored the last one, considering his his rise through Irish league football and then scoring against us for Burton a couple of seasons ago to put us out. So this is this is pretty good time for you uh, in terms of being in an international break with like what, two weeks of. Contemplating your football existence, you got Villa beating Liverpool seven two, and uh, Northern Ireland uh, getting into the well. Hopefully, they'll win the final, but we shall see. But still, it's uh, it's been a good week. For yeah, you it's, anyway. it's just a shame we didn't get the player Southern neighbours in the next round. It would have been a it would have been a great occasion. But yeah, no, that alas. would have been fantastic. Yeah, Chris, uh, how how's your international week mapped out? First gig of the year since March coming Ooh, up. A nice last trip to, gig uh, as well. By the looks could of well it, could well be if the North is being in lockdown. Yeah, so I'm off to Hull this weekend. We shall see what that's what's that that's like. If uh, to use a football analogy, there's no way I'm going to be match fit. Um, <laughs> luckily, I'll be done by half nine. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. It's not as if you've. It's, a, it's not exactly an early hours of the morning job, is it? Danny drink water special. Yeah, it will yeah. be like it will be like a loaf of bread on stage. <laughs> Well, good luck with that anyway. Right, let's get into uh, the show. Uh, Villa News. Uh, first of all, nothing happening on deadline day. was never expected uh, anyway. But we have, uh, in the final uh, days of and final hours of the transfer window, offloaded Mr. Yotta and uh, Euler Nieland. So we no longer have to try to pronounce his name correctly. Nieland, does he, I don't know if he's found a club yet. I haven't followed that up. But uh, Yotta's off to Deportivo Alaves. 
expected. Uh, I mean, they weren't really going to feature. I think, you know, do you know what? Nealon's had more than a fair crack at the whip. I think, you know, he had his amazing moments in the cup run and nobody will take that away from him and, you know, fair play. But for, for the journey that the Villa are now on, he's he's not going to be a, a step up, is he? So good luck, good good luck to the guy. Yeah, I think it, it was his time to go. I mean, he he's not going to hit the heights that he's already hit for Villa. I mean, he, he's done the best that he can do for Villa. I mean, he'll always be remembered for the cup run and the game against Sheffield United last season. So you know, yeah. cult hero status achieved. Yeah, I mean, the sem- some of the saves in that semi final were were fantastic. It was a great display. But alas, uh, for day in, day out uh, Premier League games, uh, there was always a mistake in him, and that was the the problem there. Yeah, and with Yachty, you know, he was only a he was brought in as a squad player initially, and it was a very cheap, easy option. And you know, he had his, had a couple of moments, and again, fair play, good luck to the guy. Apparently, he wasn't any you know wasn't much trouble other than Danny Drinkwater. So yeah. Anyway, moving on, uh, international breaks or uh, kind of a reversal in. Uh, what used to be, uh, well, certainly in the early 2000s, a, a bit of a problem. Uh, Villa players taking penalties international uh, on international duty. John McGinn scored in Scotland's win that sets uh, sets them up for a game against Serbia. As Scotland beat Israel on penalties, uh, not the uh, Northern Ireland weren't the only team to uh, triumph from the home nations. Conor Horahan scored his penalty, but unfortunately Ireland uh, were knocked out. Meanwhile, uh, as I always said, Grealish would play against Wales. I was saying that months ago, and he got an assist, as did Tyron Mings. And uh, Grealish also picked up the uh, Man of the Match award, which I think is Player of the Match nowadays. Yeah, as, as did McGinn, of course. McGinn got Man of the Match as well, didn't he? Yeah, and then uh, Grealish didn't get picked uh, for the Belgium game, as expected. You know, it's baby steps because to play in the position that he's currently in at Villa. You know, he's the front line is pretty much set in stone in terms of England, isn't it? With I Kane. Think so, yeah, on the left hand side of midfield and Rashford, Sterling, Sancho, yeah. Sterling are is really his front three uh, assets. I, mean, I think you know, he, he obviously more than staked to claim in the Wales game and you know deservedly would have, you know got man of the match but just from a purely selfish perspective I was actually glad to see him not feature you know I think he'd carried a couple of little niggly knocks you think you know what if you can get him a rest get him a rest just from a purely selfish villa point of view you know he hasn't earned the right to be the top man yet because there's plenty of you know more from him to come. Oh, completely, man! He's got another gear, definitely. And we've seen that in the Liverpool performance. And uh, you know, once he starts chalking that up regularly, Southgate will definitely have to uh, get him in there somewhere. But ultimately, as long as he's in there for the uh, the the tournament at the end of the season, that's what he should be aiming for. Agreed. He's, yeah, he's more he's more than staked his claim, and I think he, he's put it out there to the wider nation now that everybody knows what he can do. Now he's he's very much on the radar. So uh, Villa players doing all right on international duty, and uh, I reference Villa players not being so great at penalties because uh, I mean Euros. 2004, Vassell missed a penalty against Portugal. Olaf Melberg missed the deciding kick against Holland for Sweden in the same tournament. Obviously, Southgate was a Villa man when he missed against Germany in 96 as well. Villa players at that time just uh, didn't have the look on their side, but uh, that seems to have changed. Moving on to uh, other news, Villa's uh, youngsters under 21s again found it very hard going in the EFL Trophy. EFL Trophy is the bottom two leagues uh, and uh, certain youth teams from uh, Premier League outfits. Uh, after getting slapped by Sunderland, they got beat uh, 3-0 by Fleetwood and they were 3-0 down in the first 15 minutes again, showing you, uh, you know, Louis Barry's in the team 
doesn't really matter. It's uh, there is a big gap. So anybody calling for these 16, 17 year olds to uh, be playing for Villa's first team, it's a bit of a reality check to uh, that kind of tomfoolery. In other news, uh, COVID-19 hits Aston Villa as uh, the women's team confirmed that one of their uh, first team squad tested positive, which means other members of the squad now have to enter a period of self-isolation and they've agreed with the FA to postpone the next two fixtures against Bristol and Chelsea. So hopefully that doesn't have any more repercussions in spreading anywhere else. Villa ladies still looking for their first win of the Super League, although they did get their first win in, uh, in the Continental League Cup after beating Sheffield United who are in the, the division below so hopefully that will give them a bit of confidence but they will, will probably be bottom of the table when they return I mean they're second to bottom on goal difference so there's that but then you've got two weeks to maybe uh, a bit more let's say preparation and going over any of the problems I mean the problem with the Women's Super League is it's, it's almost like two leagues within one you've got your Arsenal, Everton, Chelsea, Manchester City ladies or Manchester United as well who are at the top there just trouncing anybody from the bottom half that they play so you've got three teams out of the 12 are on zero points at the moment and with mounting goal differences so it is a bit of a two-tier system within the top tier and you see Arsenal's ladies there they've scored 18 goals in their three games so that tells you all you need to know yeah no it's uh, plus 15 goal difference a bit like Villa really in the Premier League <laughs> with, their, with their plus nine over uh, three games Another relevant uh, piece of information in terms of uh, Villa news. The Premier League, after the pressure of uh, supporters asking for games that weren't scheduled for TV to be screened so they could actually watch them somehow, the Premier League have uh, said yes to that, but they've sprung a pay-per-view fee of £14.95 on them. Q backlash and the you know that price is uh it's taken the piss really uh we'll discuss this uh, on other shows but uh i mean people are making the foolish comparison with uh, you know live games saying oh yeah but it's only a you know fraction of that and you save money by uh not going to the game no 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 you should be comparing it you know apples with apples and Look at what you know Sky do in terms of the day pass, where for nine ninety nine you can watch the game that you want if you're not subscribed to uh, Sky or BT, and you also get you know twenty four hours of uh, Sky Sports and you know potentially another two or three games in that period. So that's the uh, the blueprint of what you get for your money. And, you know, comparing it to say, oh, yeah, but we have more cameras than uh, the EFL's uh, pay-per-view £10, you know, that's just a smokescreen. When fans not on the Sky and BT platform have been paying £10 for games with crowds and, uh, you know, much superior products. So for a a downgrade with no crowd, etc. The cameras thing's bollocks, isn't it? Because you, you know, you're going to watch Match of the Day that evening. It's like, well, well done, Sky. Yeah. You're, you know, you might be showing it live, but Match of the Day will have the highlights on, and they'll use all the camera angles, or even the highlights. Yeah. Will you know the highlights on YouTube? The cameras are already are there. It's a desperate bid to justify. Well, it's the clubs trying to um, offset some of the lost Match Day revenues, isn't it? That they're not charging for premium games. This isn't like you know, like for example, um, I saw an example of someone comparing it to like you know an Anthony Joshua fight or you know a big boxing fight. But it's like they're one-off singular events, and they are the premier events. You know, it's not like 
pay-per-view for a World Cup final or a Champions League final. This is like, you know, Burnley v Southampton or... It's a bit of a disgrace. I mean, it should be no more than £10. I think if they said £10, uh, I don't think you have such a, an outcry. But uh, the Premier League, you know, they voted on this, but the votes the clubs had was, it was always fourteen ninety five. There was no options in terms of different pricing points. Anyway, uh, hopefully you've got an Amazon Fire Stick already, or uh, there's plenty of links around. Uh, not that we'd advocate such a thing, but uh, as supporters, we are being pushed into this because uh, that price point is uh, a joke. Right, then moving on to the three points that you may have seen uh that uh, the Premier League have actually put out an open letter to the government. Letters back, hashtag letters back, for fans to return to football. This has been supported, actually, uh, when you say Premier League, that means all the 20 members of the Premier League, which are, are all the club, all the... the uh, stakeholders have pushed this out i mean i've received an email uh, as part of the fan consultation group uh, asking me to spread the petition a fan has put out uh, one of those government petitions where you need over a hundred thousand to get it debated at the house of commons it, i think it got over a hundred thousand pretty swiftly so the football supports association is behind this as well and, and all the other leagues the women's league the you know the the efl but i don't know i'm not i mean the situation is the the covid issue you know we're going into winter now and it's not looking good so the timing of this while you appreciate something needs to be happening to save especially like the lower tiers and the grassroots tiers the reality is uh i mean you just look at anything from like universities who you know will skip back into business as usual and then suddenly now they're closing down face-to-face lectures and they've got people in halls locked up in isolation and the reality is you know we're on no way shape or form out of the woods and I think in this situation, you, you're kind of waiting for after winter just to you know see what happens because it, it's not going to get you can't turn a blind eye to the the problem. No, it, it feel, yeah, it feels like we're treading water, doesn't it? Really, for the next few months now. Yeah, I, th- I think I think what triggered it was the the announcement that what the the, the Royal Albert Hall would be at fifty percent capacity in yeah. in December, and it's it's indoors, and you know if you could have that many in there, you could imagine grounds at fifty percent capacity, that would be a you know that would almost be acceptable especially since they're outdoor but it's it's the consideration of that many fans getting to the ground i mean inside the ground you may be able to place everything but getting to and from it and in and around the ground isn't it? it's, yeah. it's concourses and everyone yeah. and the, the problem is time, this is never mentioned that the people are you know doing their sound bites on tv or whatever they don't mention that this is you know this is the wider picture and you know up north now it's talking about you know localized restrictions etc and you're getting into a state really of lockdown but that's the dirty word that nobody wants to return to but yeah i'm kind of torn i mean you know i should be banging the drum on this being on the council of the uh, football supporters association but you know i can't go all in because uh, there's a wider discussion and implication to this it is a week by week thing uh, the actual situation but I, I, I wouldn't be making any uh, legislation to get back into football uh, without seeing what happens at say halfway into November at least. Moving on to point number two, uh, I think Dan mentioned. Did he mention this or did I? I yeah, it's just a good discussion we had, we'd had with Dan, wasn't it previously? Offer on, yeah. It's just uh, an American in- entertainment agency, ICM, have bought out uh, the Stellar Group, which is a London-based sports agency that represents over eight hundred athletes, including uh, Mr. Jack Grealish and Gareth Bale. I think seven England players all in. 
uh, and their you know their contracts are worth uh, about three billion dollars uh, to two point three six billion pounds. So the idea is uh, this group they also have like other brands. So the idea of they you know they have actors and you know musicians etc which are used for uh, branding and advertising and whatever so the idea is to diversify their uh, their uh, potential for their brands by using sports stars as well so com- you know considering the effects of covid it's kind of they, they obviously still think uh, that it's a strong potential marketing uh, vehicle so expect Grealish to appear uh, in adverts and uh, marketing and what do you think you'll be end up doing in an ideal world crunching at cornflakes <laughs> <laughs> i i would definitely have him doing brill cream and not just modern brill cream old school the one you'd you want what, that like spice yeah or? the one you could uh, cook chips with that you just sort of sla- <laughs> slap on the hair and that's that's jack sorted or there's, there's bound to be some calf compressions for running sleeves that he can he can do in well, the maybe not bringing back the uh, who wears short shorts jack wears short shorts <laughs> The possibilities are endless. Garth Bale and the, yeah. the Titleist or something for golf is just, it's, it's right there. Make it happen. So, yeah, those gentlemen will be uh, receiving more money, no doubt, uh, with uh, that kind of uh, agency backing. Right. Point number three every team has a mascot, but I've always liked Gunnosaurus and uh, the Arsenal dinosaur mascot. And the news went out that Arsenal had uh, basically ditched him, stopped paying Gunnosaurus. And, you know, he was the last member of the Arsenal's Invincibles team. So it's like the, the end of an era. <laughs> the end of an era. Because the photos of them celebrating their league title when they went the whole season without getting beaten, Gunnosaurus is uh, in that picture. I'm surprised he was paid. I thought I thought he would have done it just for the love of being Gunnosaurus. Well, no, every, you know, everybody's going to eat. But These costumes don't pay for themselves, Phil. <laughs> Phil, I, I, know, I know you think he's real, but there's actually a person inside the <laughs> Gunnosaurus. <laughs> So somebody in the outfit, it's like, you know, well, I don't want to ruin Christmas for everybody, but it's actually somebody dressed up as Santa Claus. Oh, yeah, sorry. (laughs) There might be children listening to this podcast. Uh, But it really is a symbol of uh, football cutbacks. But knight in shining armour, Mezer Ozil has offered to pay the wages of uh, Gunasaurus. Great PR for him. He's won him won the hearts and minds of many Arsenal fans, especially on social media. I think the compromise here is uh, since I mean he's been left out of the Europa League squad. What else is he doing? He, he should just he should be Gunasaurus. I think so. I mean Arsenal need to get their money's worth, don't they? When they're paying him, you know, a few hundred grand a week. Yeah, and that was the that was the, the that was the uh, the underlying thing of the story, wasn't it? That Arsenal had sacked their um, sacked their mascot and about fifty other members of staff, and yet they were trying to bring in new footballers on, you know, six-figure sums a week. Yeah. And there was a certain moral, you know, moral issue with that. They're not getting rid of Gunnosaurus to, like, pay for William's wages, are they? If you don't, not. I'd probably have Gunnosaurus over William. Yeah, he'd over Ozil at the moment. He probably does more on a match day. I think Maitland-Niles had have Gunnosaurus over him because he was, uh, <laughs> you see something like Jack... Grealish playing for England against Wales, enjoying it. Looked like, you know, he'd been playing for England for many a year and Maitland-Niles just seemed a bit kind of excitable. His first touch was, you know, he was missing and some of his, you know, timing of his runs are a bit off as well. So, yeah, maybe uh, Maitland-Niles, ship him out, save the money, keep Gunasaurus. But, yeah, or, alternately, Ozil, let him do it. Get in the suit, son. When's Henry getting into Hercules' suit? <laughs> 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 yeah, Mr. Lansbury, there is a job for you. 
if we don't manage to ship you out, we'll, we'll even let him. Yeah, even let him keep a number eight in the back of Hercules. Be fine. <laughs> Who's going to be Bella? Yeah, if we don't ship you out by the end of uh, sorry October sixteen, then uh, Hercules is your new job. If you don't see him on the bench, you know he's in the suit. Before we go on to the main part of the show, I just want to give a huge thanks, as always, to the My Old Man Said patrons who keep the show going. First off, a big shout out for the new patrons, Nicholas NC. Please do send your full surnames in so you can get a proper shout out. Matt Chapman, David Ryder, John Romby, Jordan Crawley, Stephen Fanner, Luke Roberts, Stuart Penton, Daniel. Baddeley, Charlie Bernal, David Hardman, and Alex Hamilton. Also, uh, at the moment, you can sign up upfront for a year and you uh, save two months uh, by uh, doing that. 15% it works out at. So, uh, a big thank you for the recent uh, annual subscribers, Azrael. John Burley, Jamie Thomas, Matthew Smith Lilly, Rob Hayes. Tony Keane, and from down under, Ian Wiseman. A big thank you uh, for all uh, signing up for the year. You can now, uh, as a a patron, you can actually pay in euros, pounds, or dollars. So uh, thank you very much for those who have actually upgraded. uh, Eleanor Peters, Andy Williams, Matt Deacon, Gary Barr, Keenan Dimmick, Alan Blasecker, Wes Roach, and Ben Hipkiss. If you want to uh, join us and get extra shows and also access to Match Club, first rule of Match Club is you can't talk about Match Club, but it's a bit like a live podcast everybody can join in on. If you fancy a piece of that, our uh, private little club uh, that meets for matches, uh, please do go to myomansaid.com and click on the patron link to get more details and sign up there. Thank you very much. Jack Grealish is looking for another, and it is seven! The captain gets his second. This is a day of dreams for Aston Villa! main bit of the show let's uh, let's talk about uh we've we've pretty we've said quite a lot actually for a reaction show in the last podcast about aston villa seven liverpool two seven fucking two <laughs> but it's been interesting to see the kind of reaction uh the fallout uh i mean we're, we're just going to take a couple of themes uh with hindsight uh, as opposed to going through the game all the way just you know just listen to the other podcast for that without the crowd how did that affect the situation that's the first theme we'll look at. I mean, if you looked at Spurs beating Manchester United at Old Trafford, you looked at Leicester beating Manchester City 5-2 at the Etihad, and suddenly you've got your headlines for saying that no crowd has made home advantage uh, disappear. But if there was a crowd at Villa Park, would it have been the same score? Would it have been more? Would it have been less? I mean, what do you think? I think it's really hard to gauge because I remember we we spoke about this very, very early on in COVID about one of the big things that you would find potentially was at key moments of matches when that momentum can shift. And, you know, especially let's say when you've got the backs to the wall and you need that extra lift from the crowd or when you're getting on top and the crowd can really pull you over the line. You haven't got that. But actually, you saw that in the real key moments of the game, when the game could have turned, like, you know, when Salah got 
the the, yeah. the, uh, the the first Liverpool goal back, Villa went up the other end and scored the third. Well, the crowd weren't there for that. Or, you know, when you come out in the second half and it's 4-1, Liverpool are still just about in the game. But Villa went and got the fifth and killed the game. So it, it's it's kind of the Villa game is such an anomaly on so many levels, really. Yeah, because if you remember when the first introduction of football uh, after the you know lockdown pandemic period was the the Bundesliga and you know when after two or three games they were looking over the results the trend was yeah there was more away wins so you could say that it has nullified the home advantage but then you know the Villa game comes along and it's just makes a mockery of that in many respects I mean if a crowd was there I think that you know you got the celebrations there's more of an emotional release you got players potentially jumping into the crowd to that i mean you suddenly got a different game because that's suddenly affected it already the restart the kickoff's going to be not as quick and you might lose a bit of that momentum and uh you know villa bang 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 seven goals but it's because they just kept going it was almost like a training uh, exercise rather than if you get swept up with the emotion you know the whole end would have gone crazy after 3-1 for sure and you might, you know, lose a bit of focus and there might be, just for the crowd's benefit, inclination to defend that lead to make sure you got the win just so you don't piss off the crowd. The fact there was no crowd there probably created a bit of a freedom just to keep going. It's it's either a freedom or it's uh, an, an excuse, maybe. I mean, when you're when I was trying to consume as much media, you know, on the radio and TV after after the great win, it all came around to the same thing. You maybe had three or four pundits saying, "Oh, it's definitely the crowd. The crowd are making this. It's the crazy season. This is what why it is." But you always had one, you know, probably sour faced pundit somewhere saying these players are looking any excuse to just cover up from the fact of poor defending. So is it is it the crowd not shouting man on? Is it things like that? Do the defenders are they, are they not switched on? Are they too relaxed because? You know, they don't seem to be up for it. I mean, the Villa game w- was one thing. There, I mean, Liverpool's defence was high, but it w- there wasn't very many individual errors in it, apart from the goalkeeper in the very first goal. Thinking yeah. more of the U- United game. I mean, they were. It was just Keystone Cops. It was her- horrific to watch. Yeah, I mean, was it the second second goal or the first goal? The f- uh, first of the goal United was my, game. Yeah, was crazy. First goal was my personal favorite. Harry Maguire, yeah. the head tennis, and then that's Luke, it. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, Luke yeah. Shaw's about to clear the ball, and Harry Maguire tries to pull back a Spurs player and grabs Luke Shaw instead and pulls him back, leaving the Spurs player to tuck it in. I mean, it's <laughs> one of the moments of the season already. Yeah, so uh, it's it's it is a difficult one to uh, put your finger on. It's still, I think, you probably need a, a bigger source. Uh, sample i.e. a whole season but uh, it's definitely as chris said it's a bit of an anomaly of the of a game in in that respect could this have happened in a normal season well it hasn't really happened before i mean villa did beat the liverpool when they were the champions in the 76 77 season they were 5-1 up at half time there and that's another interesting thing we were 4-1 up at half time this time but we just carried on in the second half pretty much the same as the first half normally as is it's almost like football law if you go four nil up very early and that's the halftime result normally the game does finish four nil it the second half is normally nil nil because there's a lack of intensity from the players the job's you know already done the opposition's so beaten that they can't be asked to do anything so uh it's almost like you play out the final 45 minutes i think what did smith say uh that there was a surreal atmosphere, obviously being four one up. But you know what they do at halftime? They have a video feed and they go through uh, some some of the highlights just to reinforce points that they're actually doing well, or they may, maybe not be doing so well. But they they kind of kept the tempo up and, and and carried on. We talked about the high line situation and how Villa dealt with that. 
But there was also a change in how what Villa did once they got in possession or once they won the ball back, which would be interesting to see if that was just to purposely target the high line by playing, you know, when you get the ball to get it up as quickly as possible or to drive it up or normally you win the ball back you, you're looking to establish possession especially Villa you, you know play, play it out wide play it front then it gets played back or you play it back to the keeper to restart it but all that does is allow the defense to reset on the other side while Villa weren't doing that this game they were just getting you know they were attacking as soon as they got the ball they just went for the throat every time you think that's something we'll see because now we have Barkley to drive more and Grealish has more options and you know Watkins is always alive wire in, in giving you an out ball wherever you are do you think that's something we'll see in the next few games or do you think it was just mainly to make sure that high line didn't have chance to settle and set up to you know, entrap us it could be a bit of both you know because I think that um, you saw Villa play with pace and tempo you know, they moved the ball quickly they got up the field they played through the, the phase of the field and they got through Liverpool's press which you know is, is pretty famous. Yeah, the fact that they didn't have Mane at the top of the field starting that press probably made a difference. They didn't have Henderson enforcing it in the middle again made a difference. The yeah. likes of Barkley got us up the field quickly. Grealish could carry the ball. McGinn could carry the ball. Trezeguet did on numerous occasions as well. I think that other teams might necessarily become a little bit wiser to that, and they'll say, "Well, there's no point in playing a high line against Villa because they've got Watkins who can run in behind." Whereas last season, you know, you had Davis or Wesley or Samata who weren't going to do that. Yeah, Trezeguet looks quicker. So all of a sudden, we've just got a little bit of like. I, I, I've previously called it straight line speed. You know, we can just actually cover ground quicker. Some teams might decide that actually we need to play a little bit deeper against Villa and keep them playing in front of us, which well, I think actually with the players we've got, we can do as well. Yeah, that's that's very important because it's it's the whole mindset that other teams come come into playing against Villa with. Because last season you're thinking to yourself, oh Villa, they they start well, but just you know keep them within touch until the last half hour and we'll score maybe one, two, three because they, they just let it go at the end. If the narrative going in, if other teams have it in their head, this Villa team, you can't let them break on us. You can't let them carry the ball. If we get all our teams sitting deep against us and we can suddenly unlock these deep defences, the, the leagues are oyster. Are you talking about like there's going to be a lot of tactical fouls against us to to stop us starting up such attacks? I think so, yeah. I mean, you saw that, didn't you? I, mean, I know Barkley got clattered, didn't he, by uh, Van Dijk at one point and McGinn got fouled numerous times. Louise, obviously Grealish always gets fouls. I think teams will be thinking we need to, if Villa pick the ball up on the edge of their penalty area, take the foul there rather than letting them get yeah. into our... No, third of the field. I think Smith has already maybe foreseen this because we look at the the two free kicks that we've scored from. The one against Fulham, you've seen Mings put it in his Instagram, you know, Sunday. This was the setup on Sunday. I scored from it. And then here's the setup in the match, exactly the same that I scored from. And then uh, the Watkins hat-trick goal, the his third goal, that free kick, I've looked at it a good few times. Trezeguet starts off so far away from what you would, the Liverpool defence would consider the danger zone. And as soon as Barkley whips up ball and Trezeguet's gone, he has to go at full pace, cover about 20 yards and just perfectly times it to reach the ball on the byline to cross the cross for Watkins. You can't defend against that free kick. So if we know we're going to get free kicks in that position, we're going to have Barkley to whip it in now from anywhere in the right. And then if Horahan or McGinn do it from the left, you know, we're... We're catered for every situation. We're well prepared. I'd agree with that. I mean, I mean, you said it previously, David, with the, with the fact that all of a sudden Smith has got the the, the ammo. You know, he's got the toolbox to go and actually set his team up how he wants, and he he can have a plan A, B, and C, and he can we can have a, you know an individual tactic for each game. Whereas I think this, certainly the first half of last season, it was this is the way Villa play, and we're just going to try and believe in it as best we can. And you saw it when the when the belief in the plan A went, we didn't have the plan B yet. Whereas now we we have the alternatives. 
We saw yeah. that, you know, post lockdown. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Just, a, 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 I think, a final uh, point on the Liverpool game, uh, which hopefully will blossom in further games. It was just, I mean, it's the first game together, but Barkley and Grealish looked like they were having a, almost having a laugh playing Very together. Great time. Yeah, like proper yeah, enjoying themselves. As I, as I said about Grealish in the England game, he, he looked really relaxed there as well. It was but a natural you know, sort of telepathy, wasn't there, with him and Barkley? And I think, we, yeah. I'm sure we said it as well, you know, the Grealish getting A in the squad previously and then having the getting his first appearance under his belt and then, of course, he got the new contract. I think he's had a lot of weight lifted off his shoulders, both yeah. on the field and off it. Well, it's um, like his future's a bit clearer now because he knows that realistically he looks around him now in that Villa team and he goes, oh, actually, I've got a you know vehicle here to do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And long, and long may that continue. I mean, people were getting really excited about, you know, the stats last season. And they, a lot of the time it was using secondary stats, especially to go after Gareth Southgate. You know, most chances created, whatever. But, in, you know, re- I always said, what in real terms, what does that actually mean? Because here we are surviving relegation by, uh, you know, one point. But apparently we've had all these chances, which when you watch the games, you never really saw it. And you saw Grealish having a lot of uh, off days, or let's say not having the influence that he could have potentially had. But a lot of it, you know, wasn't his fault because he didn't have the players to really open up his imagination and his full potential. You know, I would mention David Platt's 20 goals from midfield as like, that's what back in the day, that's what proper stats are. None of these secondary stats to kind of boost somebody. But Grealish will be getting closer to that. And, 
you're going to be astounded, I think, by his stats this season. If he doesn't get injured, his assists and goals will be on another level to what he got last season. If so, then Villa are in a different ballpark in terms of the league table as well. I mean, so you've, seen, you've seen in the, the England match the, the bit of it that I sort of glanced at whenever Northern Ireland were winning. He, Grealish was the only player that carried the ball in a, in a dribble. I mean, this obsession with passing, a bit of me almost doesn't want Gareth Southgate to coach him if he's going to turn him into this sort of passing robot rather than a you know a dynamic midfielder because with Barkley, we'll have Grealish, we'll have McGinn, ball at their feet. They're 10 yards immediately up the pitch with the ball at their feet yeah. before they're even looking unless, at pass. Unless some Welshman's kicking you. <laughs> I, I think if Grealish, as long as he can get on the pitch in the Euros, I think he'll be able to do what he wants because it, it's when player power takes over a little bit more is actually in the when you deepen the tournaments because I think there is a bit of caution to uh, Southgate. I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to get into the Southgate bashing. I'm quite happy to cut him some slack but you'll we'll see in the you know, Euros... Uh, if Southgate's actually got his team together and he's got his best eleven together, what what actually happens? But I think Grealish is somebody who, uh, in the middle of a tournament on his day, could suddenly take over. Well, we said all along he's just a, a different option, and that's all you you need from a player like Jack. He doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the first name on the team sheet. There are some very good players in those positions, but because he offers you something different, he is a weapon to be taken to a, a major tournament. Yeah. Going back to the Villa context, uh, it's it's a different world now we're in in terms of Grealish. I mean, he, he now, uh, Barkley instantly gives you that, but also Watkins. We can't underestimate the role of Watkins. In- a striker with movement. Yeah, Smith said to I think in an interview that as you know he said that Grealish had a word with him earlier and he said he's actually way better when you when you play with him in training than you'd ever expect. But we'll talk a bit mo- bit more about Watkins in a second. But yeah, overall I think those two together I'm quite, I'm looking forward to watching those two against Leicester, Grealish and Barkley against Leeds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because surely that can only get better. If that was the evidence of their first game together, then uh, we should be in for a bit of a treat. As long as Barkley sorts out his shooting. <laughs> hmm. Sorry, there was another point I wanted to make about this. Uh, a lot of talk about uh, from the neutrals and uh, some Liverpool fans about the uh, deflected goals, and we were a bit lucky. You know, we had three deflected goals. I mean, we'd have still won. <laughs> whether, whether they went in or not. But we also had three or four guilt-edge chances that... Uh, should have been put away. And I think most Liverpool fans uh, aren't going to complain about what happened in terms of that. Because if you don't shoot, you don't buy a ticket to the lottery. So, uh, you know, it's fair enough. And I think that's uh, it's, it's yep. a coincidence that we had three deflected goals. But I think McGinn's would have gone in anyway. That was going bottom corner. Yeah, and Klopp says himself in his interview that uh, a deflected goal is a poor block by the defender. So he's no problem with it. No, exactly. Anyway, I'm looking forward to the Anfield game. The dynamic of uh, what Liverpool will be thinking. Like, we've got to get revenge. But they can't just beat us, though, because they'd normally do that anyway. They've got to really destroy us to get some kind of revenge. So that's going to leave them open again, I think, for another battering. <laughs> so not, that we're wish- too, not, not that we're getting ahead of ourselves or anything. <laughs> well, no, I suppose there is other games this season, but I'm quite I'm kind of intrigued to see what happens. I'm, at, I'm just uh, hoping Enfield. we're sharpening our tools for the, you know, the uh, arrival of Man United. Yeah, I'd like to beat them 7-2 as well. Or more. Right, anyway, moving on. 
Just uh, quickly, I mean, we we, we speak about this all the time, but uh, in terms of uh, the club's change in situation now, I think the media still kind of think of us as that team that just escaped relegation. So that's how they still view us, because it's a bit of a, it's like turning a big ship in terms of mainstream punditry, let's say. I think, let's start at the start of lockdown. At the start of the lockdown, we weren't that, uh, it wasn't looking good at all. And the reorganization of the defense and all you know all the zoom meetings and everything that needed to be put in action and you need to play games to kind of get that down and they eventually got that let's say the last four games other teams lacking in intensity and motive so it's a perfect time to play most of those teams that we did play because we had a mission and perhaps uh, arsenal you know west ham everton and the likes didn't at that stage but now, since then, I think you've got that defensive organisation now. I think a big thing is Craig Shakespeare coming in as well and the transfer business that we've done. Any, anything else you can put down uh, the change in the club's outlook and, um, and ambition? I think you've... I know Smith's spoken numerous times about culture. You know, I think you've you've had, you've had to embed not just players on the field, but you've had to embed lots of different personalities off it. You've had to get guys up to speed with the culture. Some of them with that, you know, guys like Louise with the language. Just getting everyone to settle. You know, you look at what what's happened with sort of Trezeguet post lockdown. You can see the work online that he's been doing because he's been putting videos of been working out and just just getting everybody fitter and. It just feels like a team and a, and a club slash organisation that just just feels a little bit more leaner and meaner, and everyone's going in the right direction now. Yeah, because I've I've written about this, but you know, people have you know written off our transfer business. Thirteen players in was rubbish, you know, because they they almost got relegated. And you know, some fans are thinking this as well. But people forget that these players, if they're good players, that you know they don't start off the first game as soon as they sign, like at the top of their ability you know they, they're human after all you've, you've got to learn the system learn how to you know how to play with these teammates that you've suddenly uh you know you're playing with 10 players you haven't played with before also you're kind of settling in to a, a new whether it's a country or a new league and of course you're going to be a hell of a lot better in a year's time with a season under your belt that goes without saying so we've seen that i mean mings i think it would be better cons are definitely better louise definitely better Trezeguet definitely better so this transfer window that you've written off as uh, oh yeah that was a load of crap because they've almost got relegated if that's how you're thinking then you, you know nothing about football no I think it's 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 a trust thing and it goes all through the the club you could say it's a Smith trusts the players the players maybe trust Smith now to, to make tactical switches and whenever the player trusts the person beside him he's less likely to try and sort of cover for a mistake they might make I mean you can see last season Mings was blocking everything because he was basically running the, going about like a blue ball across the, the back four just yeah. blocking this blocking this and he was never in his, uh, the position that he needed to be in now if he trusts Konza if he trusts Cash and he trusts Target to be where they should be he can be where he should be and then that just translates the whole way up the pitch. I mean, you're naturally getting better, and also you you've gone through experiences. Well, let's say like you know half of the uh, the team have gone through the promotion. Now they've all gone through uh, defeat and relegation, so they've had a lot of highs together, which brings it intensifies the bond and the trust, as you just mentioned. So it's it's an ongoing, evolving, improving thing. So you've got that, and now you've added some quality to it, and your experience. And as we mentioned on the previous show, Smith has kind of reappraised his approach and uh, started to think more defensively as well to get that balance right. And 
that's a further element of the evolution, which brings us to a team that actually you can now see how Leicester suddenly transformed after a transition season after they got promoted you can see how graham taylor turned it around you can see how ron atkinson after that you know i'd call it a calibration season where it's calibrating a team that has potential that that calibration can take place in a relegation battle and the next season the the transformation can be pretty spectacular i mean leicester's it's going to be hard to top that one the the league is there for the taking i mean whether it's what we talked about earlier with the no crowds and some teams not able to motivate themselves there's nobody in that league that you fear at the minute anyway nobody has got apart from ourselves and everton nobody has turned up to this league sort of switched on no exactly and that result will go a long, long way to make us not fear anybody. So uh, Phil Shaw's talking about the title. What, what about you, bud? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think. I, I mean, I, I sort of I remember saying numerous times at the start, anything from about 10th to 14th is, is achievable. I, th- I think... I mean, I think there's a big, big spectrum. Yeah, there's a big opportunity. That's the let's, thing, that's the word this season. Let's say Europe is not out of the question. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's the thing. Who knows this season? It's so early if and no one's... can jump up. Yeah, yeah, completely. And Southampton had a good run. I think the fact that all of a sudden we look like we've got goals in the team. You've always yeah. got a chance. And we're not conceding. The defence is uh, pretty resolute. So the only thing, uh, I mean, you know, league title, we're kind of joking because we don't have the depth of squad. But that's the only uh, disadvantage we have at the moment. If we can get ourselves around that, those uh, upper echelons, we've still got the January window. So you could potentially uh, reinforce to kick on. But all I'm saying, I mean, we'll leave it now, but uh, it's it's more of an open season than you might first think if you have the mentality of thinking about what happened last season. Forget about last season. This is different gravy. And we've got momentum. And momentum is so key. That's what happened with uh, with Leicester. And I mean, I'll go back very quickly to, you know, 94, 95, stayed up on the last day. 95, 96, we beat Man United on the first day. And straight away, the players believe and you start the season well that season as well and you get that bit of momentum and it was the same with Leicester you know they beat Villa didn't they I think we were 2-0 up at the bloody King Power that year mm. and um, and ended up losing and Leicester suddenly got a bit of momentum and they just kept on believing and then and then it just comes down to things like a bit of luck with injuries and suspensions and stuff like that which you have very little control over but once you get the belief and the momentum going who knows I mean that's what happened with Wolves when they got promoted as well Anyway, so uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, the good news is it's it's exciting again. And that's all you want, isn't it? Just to see your team getting in and amongst it again. Yeah. I mean, just quickly, the I mean, we we touched on it there, but the transfer window appraisal, I mean, out of 10, what would you give it? I'd give it maybe something like eight, eight or a nine. Yeah. Phil? I'll go, I'll go eight because I do think we need a, a sub striker. I know it's hard to find a striker that's happy with being on the bench, but I think we do need cover there. But yeah. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely, you know, you bought players for the here and now rather than potential. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at themes, I mean, we're purchasing uh, like oven-ready footballers for the English league. We're not going uh, and taking money ball punts on Belgium league players. I mean, like Martinez... Was he's won a couple of trophies in the in the month before uh, that he signed for us in the uh, the FA Cup and the Community Shield cash, you know. Player of the Championship, I think was that. Yeah, Watkins I mean, Cash and Watkins. Him? You're looking at probably two of the best players in the Championship last year in terms of form and their stats and the level of consistency. Barkley's proven at this level. Yeah, and really, it's only tra- trial race. Even Troy, I mean, he played. You know, he played for Chelsea before, so he knows. Uh, yeah. yeah, he knows the league as well. I mean, like with Watkins. I mean, we st- we we kind of did look at the price and think because mm, that you know 
as as we've mentioned previously on the podcast, Villa with the team when they were in the Championship that actually inflated prices by just throwing you know twelve million at the Hogan's, your McCormacks, everything inflated on top of that. So we were kind of responsible for the. Uh, I mean, we we were record Championship. I think McCormack broke the record, didn't it, initially? Did, yeah. And then went on from there. But you looked at Watkins, and I think that, if, you know, if you're just going pure stats, okay, he scored 26 goals uh, playing centre-forward. But the interesting thing was he was caught scoring double figures from the wing as well when he played before that in, in the previous season. So it shows you that uh, there is a player who is actually a, a good player because he's doing that from whatever position he's he's in. Right, let's move on and close the show out with our uh, traditional uh, segment of underrated or overrated. Right, underrated or overrated is where we look back at Villa players of... uh, recent uh, history shall we say last few decades and reappraise them and uh, see if our memories uh, are, are clouded by hindsight or uh, mythology or propaganda that has since turned them into legends when maybe they didn't even play 100 games mentioning no names but uh, <laughs> first up uh, well we're going to do a completely random choice here uh, Jean Macoun and uh, Stephen Warnock uh, who should we go for first let's get Jean Macoun out of the way yeah, shall we? It's not going to take long, is it? He's only nah. made, like nine, <laughs> made nine appearances. Not many of those were starts either. Uh, why did we buy Mr. Jean McCune from? Uh, we got him from Leon, though. Yeah, he was a, he was a, he was a good player there for you know for a couple of seasons, and he was the, you know he did well at Leon before. I think Julio. Where we got Traore from? Yeah, and uh, Jean Carew. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was in, it was you know during the. Um, Halfway through the season, when Julier realised that Villa were potentially going to be in a relegation fight, he needed a player that fitted his style of play, very much a possession-based you know, deep-line midfielder who could tackle as well. Um, and on the face of it, it did look like a good signing. Yeah, I mean, he was like Cameroon international. I mean, Leon back in those that period, no slouches. I liked him. I mean, he, he, he just looked a likeable uh, character with his magic jumpers. <laughs> he he did tick a lot of boxes when he when he was announced when as signed. You were thinking to yourself, "Yeah, well, this will get us out of trouble this season. We can start kicking on." But alas, it didn't. It didn't turn. Because we that were way. always looking for that kind of player, somebody to sit on the base of the midfield and uh, almost like an orchestra. You know, yeah, it was somebody who could run the game. We just didn't have it at that time. No, we, was, had, we had a bit of a ropey mid. Well, we were losing players. Uh, we were that season, you know, but obviously yeah. we'd lost Milner. Young was still there. Downing was there, and he was a he was he would have, he would have left, but we'd lost. But obviously, in the center Petrov of the park, in that season, yeah. because of course Petrov had had his you know, his health problem. Yeah, so you lost Milner and Petrov, so we we were lacking something in the middle. So we were really rebuilding the middle of the park, and uh, that was the first attempt. And then, uh, of course, Julier had Johan Kabay lined up, which uh, would have happened but then because he had his uh heart attack uh Kabai ended up going to Newcastle and had his best season there I think since he left Newcastle it was just downhill all the way for uh because he was he was pretty tasty he was a Newcastle. really good player Kabai was and, and that would have been him at Villa and that would have transformed us uh and who knows what would have happened under Julier after that he'd have got rid of Gabby <laughs> yeah, I'm sure because <laughs> uh doesn't from recent uh Gabby Gobbin, it's uh, obviously didn't like Julio. It's a bit of a what could have been here, isn't it? The Julio one, where you think about 
Villa had just slipped off towards the end of the O'Neill era and, and then Julier sort of came in to try and just keep, you know, get the ship pointing back in the right direction. He, he brought Benton, you thought, okay, well, it's six months too late, but we've got a goal scorer and we've still got the pieces of a good side. And then, of course, he, he left and McLeish ended up coming in and it, and it all started to, you know, fall apart yeah. pretty rapidly. And for McCoon, you know, McLeish didn't like the way he played. I think he farmed him out to Greece where he actually won the title. Yeah, Olympiacos, but you know, to spend sort of six million quid on a on a player that only made nine appearances from just a purely business point of view is is a bad bit of business. But it, I think he feels like a player of what could have been because he did have all the pieces of the you know the puzzle that would have worked for Villa and probably suffered more because of the sort of the, the shambolic nature of Villa. I think he would have probably played under three different managers. You know, with obviously yeah. you know, through the Pulier, McLeish, and then left during the Lambert era. I always look forward to seeing him play when he when he was actually picked uh, against United. He was well. all, yeah against United. He was all right on the ball. I remember, and he, I mean he he was he, he was like the master of the little uh, two yard pass. He was very much the keep the game ticking over kind of player. Yeah, and literally, it was almost like the ball is a hot potato ticking it over, ticking over. If you know what I mean, as soon yeah. as it came to him, he was a first touch player. It's one of those players that it. Unfortunately, if he didn't have his jumper, he would have been very forgettable. That's that's what he's yeah. going to be. He's going to be remembered yeah. for his jumper and for a, a two-footed lunge against Blackpool. Yeah, and getting sent off. Yeah. So yeah, it was wrong place at the wrong, uh, wrong time, I think, uh, for Mister Jean McCoon. And you can see why he was more suited uh, to like the French league. And it's a bit like Yotta going back to Spain. He probably would do better there, where it's a slower pace and his skill set comes to the fore a bit more. Uh, underrated or overrated? Phil? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying overrated because it was six million and he played yeah, I just like think just, yeah, purely from appearances. A, yeah, I think just purely from a business point of view, it, it wasn't a good signing. That's not a you know a blight on him as a player, but I think you know, six million for nine games is a shocking bit of business. Yeah, see, see the fact that I can't, like I usually can, I can't just go like easy, snap the session, yep, overrated, yep, underrated, shows that just how likeable that jumper was whenever he came in. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have to agree. He's, he's overrated considering the reputation he came with, and only nine games. But it's yeah. a, you know it's, it's it's wrong place, wrong uh, wrong time, and also yeah, it's, what, it's, what it's, could have it's... been if Julio didn't have his uh, yeah. health issues. Some of it, so much of it's not his fault, unfortunately. Where was uh, McCoon last seen? He's still playing, is he? Yeah, so he obviously left Villa, went to Olympiacos, then he ended up out at um, Stad Rene on loan made that move permanent where he did play games over a sort of a two-year period. And then he went to Antalya Sport in Turkey, where again, he had, you know, he, he tends to have like sort of two or three year windows at clubs and then and then yeah. moves on. I believe he's still playing. Free agent in May, so he, he's hovering about. Again. Yeah, he's looking for a club. Fulham, where are you? Birmingham City. Mm-hmm. But he's getting on a bit now. So how old is he? He's 37, is he not? Right, anyway. So uh, next one, Mr. Warnock. Why did we buy Mr. Warnock? This was like a uh, one of those signings where you've bought players to do a job and they actually ha- have turned out not to be good enough for what you signed them for. So you've had to get in somebody else. And I think this was the case of uh, getting him in for Nicky Shorey. Yeah, he Boomer, just was, Boomer was scratch. injured. Yeah, Boom, Boomer was injured. It was a, This was obviously a Martin O'Neill signing and quite a relatively big signing at the time, I remember. Um, Boomer had obviously broken his leg in the Intertoto Cup, I think it was, and sure he wasn't quite up to scratch. He was another one of these guys who'd had you know, one good season at a newly promoted side and then didn't manage yeah. to make the step up. 
This was a case of, right, let's throw some money at this and let's solve this bloody issue. Yeah, because he'd obviously he'd left Liverpool as a youngster where he'd come, come up through the ranks and then went to Blackburn for, I think it was two seasons, had a couple of pretty good seasons there and a, a relatively steady Blackburn team. He looked like a, you know, a sort of, a, as, you, as you would say, an, an oven-ready player and ready no, to potentially that, make, Boris make, Johnson. Yeah, make, the, <laughs> to make the step up to a slightly better side, which I think he did. You know, his first season was 09-10 and that was probably his best season um, I would say in probably his career, we got him at a good time in that, in that first year. You know, he was stepping into a team that were, you know, really popping at the time. So he was playing in a good side, um, you know, as part of a good back four. And a, and a he was team. kind of seen as the missing link to the to have a decent back four. Yes. And also, obviously, because, you know, it was a case of, you know, square pegs in round holes. All of a sudden, you had a bit of balance with a natural left footer and a, and a, and a fullback who could get forward a little bit. I do but, remember him getting for, getting forward quite a bit he always was in and around the box there I mean I don't want to sort of foreshadow anything that might happen to Matt Target but he, he did remind me a bit of what Matt Target's like at the minute only Target is obviously younger and has time to improve he's 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 a similar type of play to him yeah did he make the he made the England squad, he went to he? the South Africa World Cup didn't he under Capello yeah. I think it was when Leighton Baines had got an injury which That's isn't right, a blight yeah. his achievement but I mean I know Warnock didn't feature he actually only have ever made two two appearances for England subsequently because he would only actually ever played in friendlies apparently in May 2012 he was approached by Scotland to play for them because was of, he because of family reasons <laughs> yeah he didn't end up doing it but um he's again he's a relatively forgettable one in terms of singular moments I mean I remember him scoring in the it was the first goal in the 6-4 mental firefight with Blackburn in the cup semi-final of that season and, uh, and he got us back on track obviously I think we were 2-0 down on the night he got the got the first one back and then we went on to to blow through them got a question his defensive abilities if he's in that back four and he conceded four against yeah. that team and, and another unfortunate one for him was I think he would have been captain under McLeish obviously because of um, Petrov's health issues and he he was he scored in the um, the game against Bolton where we threw away the lead lost 2-1 and it, and it got very very toxic and it was in that run of games where I, th- I think we only um, we didn't win any of our last 10 games that season it plunged us down the table towards the relegation zone from being relatively comfortable in mid-table we just couldn't buy a win yeah the, the turning point of his career was that League Cup final when Valencia tore him apart for United yeah. I don't think his confidence ever recovered from that then after that O'Neill leaves Julier comes in and Julier didn't like pre- him did he yeah didn't like him had previous with him and just again victim of circumstance at the time he just found himself out of the squad until McLeish came in and reinstated him quickly what was the uh, the previous with Julier well, he'd basically, he'd had him at the, you know, obviously through the, the youth ranks at Liverpool and whether or not he rated him is, I'm sure that's open to debate, but he, was, he wasn't he was living in Birmingham at the time and neither was Heskey. He was, he was staying up, um, obviously he was from you know, the northwest. Um, so he'd only stay a couple of nights of the week in Birmingham and then he'd travel back and forth. If Villa played in the northwest, they were allowed to do what they wanted and they could go straight home rather than having to travel on the bus. So apparently they played uh, Manchester City away, got beat, surprise, surprise. And afterwards, a lot of the players went home did their own thing. Julio had a huge fallout with him saying, you know, why did you do that? He didn't tell me. Demanded that Warnock apologise for his actions, which were justified. Um, Julio just sort of, you know, denied ever 
saying that he was allowed to go home of his own off his own back. Giving the green light. Yeah, and um and he basically said, you know, you'll you'll never play for Villa again. Mm. Because the way you kind of saw it was he just had this shocking drop of form and you, and you thought, well, hang on a minute, it's an England international or they be a fringe international. And he was, you know, reasonably regarded. He, I mean, Liverpool, Liverpool uh, there was John Arnaritza at left back, which, I mean, you'd, you'd take Risa every time just because he's deadly shooting. So you can understand why he thought, well, I have to move on here and, and went to Blackburn. But uh, he was considered definitely one of the best English left-backs. That's why we bought him, just to sort out that left-back problem. Yeah, and then I think he, again, similar to McCoon, he, he just got sort of screwed over by the, the situation at the club. I mean, he, he'd, have, he'd have had that period under Julia and Dalgleish went back to Liverpool and asked to, to go back there, you know, giving him a route out of Villa and a, yeah. you know, a route back home essentially, and uh, everything was sort of close to the close to the deal. And then Villa tried to ask for more money. Surprise, surprise! In that era, and, and Liverpool wouldn't pay it, so the deal fell through. Um, so I think he basically just sat twiddling his thumbs for the I, rest yeah, of that I always, season. I always remember thinking, well, if he's, if he's suffering like so bad, if he's suddenly like in terms of form and ability, why why are Liverpool interested? Or why is Dalglish interested to get him back if he's that bad? It, you know, there must be something. Uh, yeah, underfoot. Anyway, overrated or underrated? I am going to go underrated. I think he is a, a victim of circumstance and his own his, and his own confidence. I mean, after that League Cup final, whenever he was, like I said, he was torn apart. He wasn't protected. He wasn't reintegrated into the team properly. I mean, Julier coming in was just the nightmare scenario to him. I mean, like it would be for, uh, like it was for John Carew as well. Um, whenever you're playing for a, a manager that doesn't doesn't rate you, if you'd say that, um, it, it's hard to turn that around, no matter what you do. I'm going to also give him the benefit of the doubt and say he was a little bit underrated because I think it was all circumstances. I think he was another one of these lads, wasn't he? He ended up in the. He was. He was a very early member of the Paul Lambert bomb squad before he finally left in January 2013. And I think that first season he showed what he could do. He just never got the opportunity to sort of push on. And then after that season, of course, the team was just the the, the whole club was sort of falling off a cliff. Slowly yeah. but surely. So I think he was just part of that. And similar to players like Hutton, you know, who maybe rode it out and managed to end it in a, in a positive light. I don't, I don't think Warnock did as well as much as he's he's sort of probably quite a, a relatively forgotten player. That first season at Villa, he was a good player. I'm going overrated. <laughs> when you're looking through and you're thinking, oh yeah, you know, when when he scored the first goal in that game against Blackburn in the semi, you're thinking, well, hang on a minute, we conceded four, and then we're talking about when there was a bust up at Manchester City after we get after we got beat there, and he's like, hang on a minute, we got beat four one, and uh, the I'd worst stick times. I'd my neck out and say it was probably because Guzan was in goal though. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the game. <laughs> And, th- and I do remember some, uh, you know, dreadful positioning, and, and and it got to the stage where you just did you did feel weak down that left hand side. But yeah, I mean, you can obviously mitigate for everything that went on be- behind the scenes. But uh, I'm going overrated because it was a, you know, you remember at the time where you thought, yeah, we need another new left back, and it started to get a bit frustrated. But you're in the middle of the you know the biggest meltdown uh, of recent history at Villa because that's when the, we were just fraying at the seams. Uh, where is he now? He's, he's he's on the Beeb, isn't he? He's, he's, he's doing a bit the, of BBC stuff. Yeah, that's a kind of, of a surprise, sport. though. I mean, fair play to him for because it is kind of random who pops up as these pundits. Some people, I mean, he's all right. I mean, in terms of a lot, a lot of pundits manage or ex-footballers manage to make it without being particularly articulate. And I'm talking about some major ones that don't really have much of, uh, let's say, have much diversity in what they actually say, and they've 
bit of media training and they've and we're talking about England goal scorers here uh, um, have managed to uh, forge careers out of it well uh, I wouldn't say that he's one of them he's somebody who you wouldn't have expected to be high profile enough to uh, break it but he's made it on merit any opinions of, on him as a pundit he's, he's one of the harmless ones isn't he now he's not one of those ones who sort of pushes people's buttons he's not particularly controversial yeah. I think I think he's all right he's reasonably erudite is that not the last thing you want to be called as a pundit? Harmless. <laughs> you're like you're like a blunt sword. <laughs> he's not. He's not cut from the same cloth as like a Roy Keane, is he? Let's no, put it, let's definitely that way. not. Robbie Savage. Yeah, he hasn't got that bit of shit house about him, or he's, he's not going to be. He's he's very BBC, <laughs> isn't he? Right. Anyway, we've met, we've cast our dies on those two players. Thank you for uh, listening to the show. We uh, look forward to uh, Villa versus Leicester quite nice to have a break just to soak up that 7-2 timing on the international break I think Grealish alluded to it as a bad timing in terms of wanting to play again and uh, carrying on Smith said the opposite though didn't he he said it was good to just take stock and um, I think I'll go with Smith and uh, reset and not get too carried away yeah it's the same for the whole league so you know you just look at Leicester 1-5-2 against Manchester City one week get beat 3-0 by West Ham the other so it doesn't mean anything does it it doesn't mean that you can't wait to play the next game because the momentum is going to carry on Yeah, I think this is such an anomaly this game that you do need a bit of time to refocus and think about what it means uh, in terms of you know the players not, not, not necessarily the fans we know what it means right anyway thank you very much for joining us and and uh, please do subscribe. And if you're on Apple, uh, do drop us a review as well. And we shall be back. And until then, as our unbeaten run hopefully continues, uh, well, our 100% league run continues as well, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Goodbye. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.